Mark 1. Conversations at the speed of sound. My favourite aeroplane was the 727 because it was, well, most of the guys I flew with were ex-military. They said it was the closest aeroplane to a fighter jet. And this aeroplane was brilliant. Wow. Uh, it, we could, we flew mainly at 0.98 mark. The voice there of retired airline captain Kay Clark, who you will hear in just a few minutes, describing in a very brief, just a snapshot, her flying career with United Airlines and others throughout the years. Hello and welcome to this episode of Mac One, the podcast of the Queensland Air Museum Caloundra. My name is Gary Hills, I'm a QAM volunteer, and I will be your host for this episode. Kay was visiting at the Queensland Air Museum last Saturday, the 15th of April, which was our autumn open day, and what a, what a day it was. Uh, women in Aviation was the theme, and were particularly grateful to the exhibitors and organizations who came in groups that support women in aviation mentoring and helping with training and recruiting it was great to have them there and of course our our speakers panel comprising some stellar participants in the aviation industry professionals some beginning some retired and there and we recorded the conversations that were had in hangar two for a bit over an hour with the panel, moderated by Mandy Henschel from Westpac Lifesaver Rescue Helicopter Service. And we will bring you excerpts of, of that, uh, that panel in the podcast. We will also provide a written transcript verbatim of the entire panel, which will be available on request and, and stored in our library at the museum. And we video recorded the conversations as well. So that will go onto our YouTube channel when it is uh, finally edited. So I was very grateful to talk with Kay. I spoke with many people on the day and you'll hear little bits of those conversations in future episodes. But just for now, this was my very brief conversation with Kay Clark. Hello, Kay. Hi, Gary. Thank you for talking to me. Now, we're surrounded by all kinds of interesting conversations going on here about women in aviation. But you have a story to tell. So why don't you um, begin by telling us where you're from, where were you born, and uh, what's your background in aviation? Okay, I was born in Coffs Harbour, New South Wales. Um, I didn't have an interest in aviation at an early age because in the times when I was growing up as a young girl, the possibility of flying an aeroplane was unheard of. However, my dad was quite interested in aviation we moved to Sydney when I was probably seven years of age, but he kept a business in Coffs Harbour and he was always flying a DC-3 from Sydney back to Coffs Harbour. Wow. We'd have to rush out to the airport at Mascot because he was running late every time and they'd be paging his name. So there was a little bit of aviation uh, in my early life, but never a dream that I would become a pilot. Did you get to fly in the DC-3 yourself? No, I didn't. Um, when we moved to Sydney, I know every Sunday or whatever day it was, 
Dad would hustle us all into the car. We'd go down to Rose Bay to watch the flying boats come and go. So that was always a big thing. So there was always that little bit of aviation connected with my life, yeah. Okay. So at what point in your life did you begin to pursue a career in aviation? In the 60s, I was working in Service Paradise for Keith Williams, who was an entrepreneur who had a water ski show. And uh, he also had an international motor racing circuit with a landing field in the middle. Charter pilots would come, I think it was Stanthorpe Air Taxi, and uh, after work, if they, they were delivering freight somewhere, they might ask me, oh, do you want to come for a ride out to wherever it was? And um, I'd hop on board and they'd let me have a little fly and we'd finish up coming back to the airstrip. At, even at that stage, I didn't think it'd be possible to get a pilot's license because I didn't have any money and I didn't have a benefactor. And the possibilities were very rare for a woman. But, but you were thinking of it. If you could, you would? Yes, definitely. It was always in the back of my mind. Um, obviously, the job at Surface Paradise Water Ski Gardens didn't pay very much money, and I f figured I would have to get a career in something. I finished up going to Canada, and I worked for Canadian Pacific Airlines, which is now Air Canada. I was working in the marketing department. Our base was right at the airport in Vancouver. I was earning good money, so I decided to take all my flying lessons, right. and I got a commercial pilot's license in Canada. Well done. May I ask how old you were at that point? I was in my late 20s. Um, at that stage, I think it cost about $10,000 to get all the ratings. Now I think it's about $100,000, yeah. So that was my, uh, I, I got the commercial pilot's license and then I decided I, if I wanted to fly, I would probably have a better chance back in Australia because uh, it's not what you know, it's who you know, you know? Yeah. Well, could I ask, at that stage, when you were beginning to think about where you could get employment, what were, the, what were the circumstances like for a female commercial pilot? Were they more difficult at that time? In the United States, it was non-existent. They didn't start, or Canada as well, they didn't start employing females until about 1976, 78, I think, were the first ones that ever got a job. Um, back here in Australia, for me, being a little bit older, because most of the airlines wanted kids in their 20s, um, I figured if I could get a job as a bush pilot, I would be so happy. Uh, yes. <laughs> okay. So when I came back to Australia, I um, sent out some letters to different flying companies and one of them responded and it was Hazelton Air Services. Uh, yes. Max was the owner. He actually died just a week ago, 95 years of age. Uh, he was looking for someone who could do some marketing for him as well as be a pilot. I had the marketing experience. He would not have employed a female if he could have not, but 
because I had some international marketing experience, he decided to give me a go. The idea was we would develop a um, tourist route where we would take tourists to the outback for the day and let them experience what life was like on a cattle station or a sheep station. Um, and we developed this program in conjunction with Qantas. So Qantas, we got the brochures and Qantas would uh, use it as part of their marketing program. So I was instrumental in doing that uh, and flew as well with Max and uh, in the beginning it was just flying blank checks around in those days before compute. well, the banks had big computers in the cities but all the blank checks that come into the little towns, Wellington, Mudgee, all those small towns had to be loaded onto an aeroplane every afternoon, uh. taken to Sydney, processed overnight. So a lot of the job was flying these <laughs> blank checks around. And what aircraft were Hazelton operating? Oh, well, in the course of one day you could fly a Cessna 172, a Cherokee, a twin Cherokee, a Navajo, a Cessna 310. Wow. It just happened whatever was there and you needed to do the job, you'd do it, you know. Wow. Also, we did a lot of charter work, so I was flying people up to the Hunter Valley, uh, you know, might be a delegation from Poland or something wanting to look at our coal deposits. It was very varied and lots. It was good fun, but they worked you to death. <laughs> and you didn't get paid very much money. But, but you were getting your hours up. That's right. That's right. And that was what it was all about at yeah. the time. Yeah. So um, at some stage, I was on a vacation in Fiji and I met my future husband. I was still living in Australia and we would commute for a couple of years and eventually we got married in uh, the United States. It was um, early 80s, there had been a recession in the United States, so there were very few jobs for pilots. I managed to get a job with a commuter and flew um, a Metroliner, like you've got out there, yeah. And then in 1985, I think it was, United Pilots went on strike over pay issues. And when the strike was finally settled, they needed a lot of pilots, so they would take females. Amazing. <laughs> and by that stage, I had quite a bit of experience. So I started with United as an engineer in the 727. I then went to the right seat on this 27. And then I went, uh, we had a base in London. I was based in London. We flew um, short haul to most of the European cities because that was a route that United had taken over from Pan Am and they had to keep flying the route. Then I went to the DC-10 as the first officer. Then I had the opportunity to become a captain on a 737 and then a 727 captain, then a 757 captain, then a 767 captain. So it was quite a busy time.
Are you organising a group outing for your club? Maybe a reunion or even a birthday party. Perhaps you're planning an evening event and you're looking for a unique venue. At the Queensland Air Museum, we welcome inquiries from groups to visit the museum between 10am and 4pm and can offer a highly enjoyable experience in aviation history. Tours are conducted by our experienced volunteer guides. Bring your lunch and make a day of it. Hangar 2 at the museum is a unique and welcoming space. 3,000 square metres of sealed floor space, undercover but open on two sides, allowing cooling breezes and ambient light. Tables and chairs located under the wings of our historic aircraft. After hours, the venue can accommodate up to 200 people with chairs only, or up to 120 people seated at tables. And we have played host to hangar dances, birthday parties and even opera nights in the hangar. Imagine performing on stage with the oldest DC-3 in Australia as your backdrop. Contact us under bookings on the Queensland Air Museum website or email our tours and events manager at tours at qldair.museum or phone us with your inquiry. The Queensland Air Museum Caloundra, an amazing, welcoming and unique venue for your tour or event. Busy, well, and, and must have been interesting. I mean, you were constantly uh, upgrading your skills and your qualifications, your ratings, I guess. That's true, yeah. So it's a lot of work. I took the first upgrades that, that I could, um, mainly because my the length of my career was going to be much shorter than someone who starts at 20, so I felt I had to maximise what I could. So by this time, you're the captain of these airliners, you know, the 7.5s, the 7.6s, whatever. How, how are people approaching the idea of a, of a female captain? Um, at first, I think they're a little bit sceptical. I mean, this is from the passenger perspective, mm. but then as um, it became more common, I think at United, by the time I left, we had 0.05% women were flying aeroplanes, and that's not all captains, that was just the total, 0.05. I think um, maybe when I left we, there were 10,000 pilots and 200 were females, yeah. And very few captains. Yeah, yeah, we, we had quite a few. A lot of the girls who started younger decided they would have their a family and so they, they didn't progress as quickly as what I did because different circumstances yeah and did did you retire from the United or did you move on from there to somewhere else no I retired at, at United um, we had an age 60 limit in those days I think it's 65 now uh, so it was mandatory that you retire at age 60 have you flown since no <laughs> now there must be so we're talking today about women in aviation. So from a women's perspective, a woman's perspective, how do you view the industry now as you've watched so many changes over the years? I think it's absolutely brilliant. There are so many young girls. I mean, we were in Vietnam a few years back and it was a jet, um, jet star. I can't remember the airline anyway. 
it was uh, a female flying an aeroplane in Vietnam. I thought, this is brilliant. And um, now when you hop on an aeroplane, it could be female. Yeah, it's not, not a problem. It's just, it's brilliant. It's unfortunate that it took uh, industrial action and um, so much perseverance by women uh, to get there. I remember when I first started flying, I was ostracized because I was taking the job of a man and I really felt um, hurt by that because I had just as much right to be doing it as what they did. Um, but it, that was prevalent through, throughout much of my career because of the time I started. Yes. And of course, as we've heard today, piloting is only one of many options in aviation. But uh, so how many hours did you end up with when you retired? I, I think I probably had about 30,000 hours or something like that. So I, I did a lot of flying. You did. Now, as a complete civilian and a non-pilot, let me ask you what may be a silly question. Did you have a favourite aircraft or a favourite sector? Actually, I like the short haul in the United States um, because you were always busy. Yes. My favourite aeroplane was the 727 because it was, well, most of the guys I flew with were ex-military. They said it was the closest aeroplane to a fighter jet. And this aeroplane was brilliant. Wow. Uh, it, we, could, we flew mainly at 0.98 mark. Yeah, no, it was a super aeroplane and it was very manoeuvrable and uh, it's a little bit difficult to land, but if you got, got it right, you got it right, yeah. Any um, super challenging experiences in the 727 or in any, any of the other aircraft? No, I had um, a couple of compressor stalls, um, Generally, it was like a bird strike on takeoff or something like that, but uh, um, not really, no. The, the only most significant thing that happened was um, I was flying at the time of 9-11, and everyone knows that story. I flew the route from Boston to San Francisco in the airplane that the next day was hijacked. So that, that was really a close call for me because it, wow, this, that one day difference in my schedule could have been something else. Okay, you've retired onto the Sunshine Coast in Queensland and uh, so no further aspirations for flying, but I'm sure you enjoy being a passenger? Yeah, we travel quite a bit. I, I only travel business class now. <laughs> I. Um, but I can't afford it. The price of airline tickets these days is extraordinary. I do get uh, a deal with uh, United Airlines, of course, but they don't go where I want to go. So uh, my flying trips are few and far between. So any regrets from a professional point of view? I wish I was born 40 years later. <laughs> which says something about the trailblazing that's gone on and some of that's been talked about here today. People now have opportunities that were not available to you because they fought and they showed what they could do and what they were not being permitted to. Kay Clark, it's been lovely to talk to you. Thank you so much and congratulations on all of those hours in the air as a captain and previous and for, for swimming against the tide in, a, in an era when that was not the simplest thing to do. It's been great to have you uh, at the museum today and thank you for talking to me. Thank you, Gary.
So that's our episode. Thank you for listening. I did speak to Kay after our conversation, after I turned off the recorder, and asked her about that incident she referred to with United Airlines and the September 11 terrorist attacks back in 2001. Uh, the, the aircraft that she mentioned, the flight that she mentioned, was United Airlines 175, which was, as I'm sure you know, the 757 that was flown into uh, the the second aircraft that was flown into the Twin Towers. Um, I asked Kay if she knew any of the air crew who had been on that flight. She knew their names but didn't know them personally. But then Kay was at pains to make the point that the flight she had captained the day before on the 10th of September was uh, a a. 7am departure from... uh, Boston to San Francisco, a 757 with United, and that the flight that in fact was hijacked the following day was the 8am flight to LAX, Los Angeles. So in fact it was not exactly the same flight, but it was 25, 25 hours apart. Having cleared that point up though, she went on to describe how, just how profoundly that whole thing affected her and uh, in her career and and personally and indeed as we could imagine on air crew right across united airlines and the entire airline industry worldwide when such things can happen and one had no idea really what would happen next and uh you know it's it's a tribute to those who had to then after the next few days when the the aircraft were were back in the air again for various airlines, the 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 um, requirement for them to get back on those aircraft, provide good customer service, provide safe flights for passengers, and to try to find a way to process such an enormous and and horrific uh, series of events. So thank you again to Kay Clark for being graciously willing to allow me to stick a microphone in her face uh, last week and to give us that brilliant little snapshot into her uh, flying career with United Airlines. And don't forget, we are open at the Queensland Air Museum seven days a week, except for Christmas Day and Easter Friday, 10am to 4pm. Come on in and see us soon. Make yourself known to us. We would love to meet you. We'll talk again next week. Bye for now.